expectant world. And thank you uh, for listening. I don't know if I said thank you. I never said thank you before. That's the first uh, word. It's but, nice to uh, be grateful. We're, we're record- I'm not, that's, that's the thing, Matt. I'm not fucking grateful. Uh, you should be listening to this, and more of you should be listening to this, because this is the world's greatest podcast, Football Unfocused. And we are back for the new season, 2023-24 to 24, uh, season. Um, <laughs> after how many weeks we had off, Matt? About a month? Since we last recorded? Yeah, yeah. It flies by. <laughs> flies by. So much stuff going on at the moment. Transfer window still going strong. We'll cover that. Football season kicked off this weekend. We'll cover that. Women's World Cup has reached a semi-final stage. We'll cover that. Uh, but first of all, this is a podcast hosted by Mark and Matthew. Uh, I'm Mark. Matthew's the other guy you just heard uh, Hello. wandering around in the dark there. Um, Hello. <laughs> Hello. Um, uh, for listeners for the first time of this podcast, um, Matthew tends to maybe not have quite the level of interest in football that I do. Um, you know, you make your own decisions. I'm not going to spoon feed you your opinions. You can work it out for yourself. But some have suggested that. So because of that, because I end up having to go into uh, monologues on my uh, opinions um, and that Matthew doesn't necessarily engage with, I like to ask him questions that are not related to football, to sort of open him up to the world, to uh, you know, really uh, give the world an understanding, to essentially leave him in the middle of a of an arid desert with an open wound on his arm and seeing, you know, what's going to become of him, what's what are the elements going to make of him, and that's what my questions are designed to do. Think of my questions as a parasitic disease coming to suck on your the blood pouring out of your open wound. <laughs> Great, yeah. I mean, it's not just football that I'm that I'm sort of a bit shaky or a bit, you know, flaky on my knowledge. I mean, I, the last time we met each other in person, I do recall I was giving an opinion on cricket, and you were shouting at me, "You are so ignorant! You are so ignorant!" <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah, that, that, that is that is correct. Uh, you 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 know what you know, don't so, you? I like to spread my ignorance around evenly. Well, what's great is. What I really love in life is when somebody is speaking on a subject that they don't know a huge amount about, but then really tie themselves to an opinion about it. Without then, like for example, if you and I are talking about cycling and you uh, and I say something that is factually incorrect, you know, I would always step back and say, "You know, cycling much more than I do, Matthew." I bow to you. But I've never, I don't think I've ever heard you say that uh, sentence. No, you you'll really drill down on it and say, "No, no, that's what I think. You're wrong." And, uh, you know, if you're on the other side of that conversation, it can be quite frustrating. Um, By the way, we are recording this podcast in an unprecedented uh, um, fashion. This is the lengths we go to to uh, bring this top quality content to our beloved audience. Um, Because of logistical reasons at the moment, we're finding it difficult to find a time in the day where we can actually sit down together. So we're doing this first thing in the morning. This is half past seven in the morning on Monday. Uh, and the bins are just being collected from outside my house. So if you can hear noise in the background, that is a, a bit a, a dustbin lorry. And our great refuse workers are doing a, an incredible job. We, um, we have to work around we... your swimming schedule. That's the problem. Well, I'm, Matthew's making a barb comment there. He's being, <laughs> being, but, but on a, I have an, an ongoing Achilles uh, injury, which is making my usual sort of fanatical running schedule impossible to uh, fulfill. So my only exercise that I can sort of comfortably and safely do at the moment is swimming. 
And being a school holidays, even a, a, a pool as prestigious as the uh, the Olympic swimming pool in London's beautiful East End Olympic Park, um, ha- is reserved for large portions of the working day um, during the working week for a thing called aqua splash, which is a sort of a hellscape of enormous inflatables, <laughs> um, which are sort of laid across like a salt course style across the fifty meter pool, um, and. So I am only I am only able to go swimming either this sort of time of day or at, at late afternoon, which is when I tend to go um, at the end of the tough working day. Mm-hmm. But that's when we would typically record. You know, Matt's just finished. You know, hard day to grind, and we'll then get our heads <laughs> together and do you know for an hour. But uh, it's just not doable at the moment. So anyway, half seven it is. Matthew, I've got these questions. Uh, Matthew, um, we've established before. That you are a, a, a bell end. I think. I, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I, think I think we've, we've hey, really hey, narrowed hey, it down to what specifically on, you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at what time of day are you the biggest bell end? <laughs> oh right, okay. <laughs> um, like, do you peak early and then level out, or are you do you, does your bell endness build across the day? It probably builds just with. I think I must be a bit more tired in the morning or something. So surely. I would have thought. Would that not make you more of a bell end? Because if you're tired and unreasonable and a bit a bit ratty. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. I think, I think kind of um, Kaido, the dog, my dog, kind of winds me up sometimes. So sometimes, mm. if I'm walking, so when I'm walking her, and if she's being really annoying, I can get a bit. Do you snap? Yeah, I snap. Does it ever get it... violent? Uh, well, I have to constantly pull her out of bushes and and yeah. drains. She'd kick she's... your ass, though, wouldn't she? <laughs> well, yeah, you'd, you'd get violent. I won't fancy my chances, so yeah, I do no, have to. She's I... a wolf. Yeah, yeah. So I have to always be slightly wary, but um, yeah. So maybe walking the dog. <coughs> Good. I, I'll just press mute there, so I can have a big cough. You um... did press mute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I did press mute, but it was it was yeah. You might have heard it, but I don't think our listeners did. Uh, I, well, I hope not. Anyway, um, uh, good. So right, okay. So we've established now you are violent to dogs uh, in the same way that Kurt Zuma is violent to cats. Um, that's not good. So I explained that. Yeah. So whenever you're dog walking, and by the way, on the subject of dog walking, you've you've thrown me under a bus there about my swimming and while we're having to record half past seven in the morning. But let's face it, the real reason is because you've got this high-maintenance dog that is even more high-maintenance than the 11-month-old child that you might be able to hear in the background screaming whilst he's being given his breakfast. Um, And you have to walk this dog so many times a day, and at such specific times, that it's taken away windows that we would uh, very often have used in the past. Like, for example using our lunch shower and yeah. that's now out of the game because you have to take your high maintenance dog for a walk <laughs> so, so don't be blaming my swimming and my making me feel bad about having an achilles injury you you bellend <laughs> i would never no mate you know i'm sympathetic i i genuinely i i do hope your achilles gets back because i know how frustrating you find it it's you lo- how much you challenge. love your running you absolutely yeah, love it i think it's gone I've I've done two runs. I've done two runs since April when I was I was just carrying on with my usual schedule when I try and always do hundred miles a month, and uh, but then it, this happened in mid-April. It was definitely my own fault because at the age of forty-one, I tried to play two football matches in the space of uh, I think four days, and at the same oh, time, yeah. I was still keeping up running 
every day and had some quite severe pain around the sort of back of my foot slash ankle slash heel and chose to just try and plow on regardless and then it was then got to a stage where I could, couldn't walk and now it just it, you know I rest it I do all the rehab stretching uh, quite religiously and I do low maintenance exercise and yet it will just randomly just flare up I'll get out of bed and I'll put my foot down and it'll be absolute agony um yeah it will, it will get better mate. like if you think about it'll take time it'll take time that's it if you think about yeah. the very top footballers who can be out for months and months and they get the very best absolute world class they fly all around the world to get the the very best sort of treatment and it still can take the months to come back yeah, just so, a couple of things i'm, I'm just going to have to mention oh, okay. i'm a long way away from being a top footballer uh, a long long way away um and actually I'm, I'm 41 years old so uh i think that the, the thing is the, what, what the, i'm saying is, though, is it it's not just a proper injury. i'd have been better off if it was an actual tear or rupture of the achilles because even though that's a horrendous injury like horrendous one of the worst injuries you can get it then can just fix, be fixed and heal, and it will take a long time. But it'll heal. Whereas the problem with this, it's got it's an open ended injury where it's just it's just a general weakness that you can only mm. um, improve by building up the area around it, which takes time. And then you have so many where you think you're making progress, and then you give it the, the next test, and then you are literally back to square one. You have to then, you know, go back to the same sort of mental time frame. Where, anyway, anyway. We're not here to talk about injuries. Uh, no, no, but... Listeners, you will definitely be able to hear my son uh, screaming uh, whilst having his breakfast in the background. And it, yeah, it that's is, the first time you called him your son. It's a joy. Oh, yeah, God, my lodger. Yeah, uh, sorry. Matthew, question two. What's the best thing you've done this summer? Oh, oh it's been a bit of a quiet summer. Mm. Um, coming to see you, coming to going to South End. Peter yeah, Pan's Playground. Yeah. Peter Pan's Playground, yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, Talk to me about it. Well, the 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 ride that um, <laughs> you are not muting yourself, Mark. I am muting myself. Well, I'm pressing mute. I'm doing my best. <laughs> okay. Um, pressing mute on your laptop does not mute the mic. No, it's on the microphone. Yeah, yeah. So he got muted anyway. Anyway, um, it was just we we spoke about um, going on all the rides, and you know that. But the, the closer we got to Peter Pan's playground, the, the less or enthusiasm there was to the extent where, in the end, only I went on one ride uh, for yeah. the time that we were there. Dave, to be fair, our friend Dave was bang up for jumping on and he stepped Just up the to the... Just for the purpose of the tape, he, he, he prefers to be called David. David, sorry. never respects that. Yeah. <laughs> David, and he... But he stepped up to the sign where it's like a minimum height, but also there was a maximum height, and he was well, well beyond the maximum height as well. Yeah. And to so, be honest, I think that I think that uh, he saw the opportunity there to just say, "Yeah, I've got a legitimate excuse." Even if he'd been within that, he weren't getting on that. He was. Day. He would have. No would've. chance. No yeah. chance. And no chance. It was just too much fun watching you go on there on your own, and then unknown <laughs> to us with, with loads of little kids. It was just a talk bit about of sliding doors moments on the same day that we were at a bloody theme park surrounded by children. Um, that 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 said theme park happened to make the BBC news on the same day for one of the rides getting stuck and leaving people hanging in the air for okay. an indeterminate period of time. So it's just a tragedy that we didn't get there earlier and get you on that <laughs> ride at that time. Because that really would have been uh, the highlight of the summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. F- last question, Matthew. Do you like sand? 
No, oh no, I don't like sand at all. If there was ever the, I I don't like going to the beach that much at all. Um, I'd rather just sit by a river or a lake. I, I be, primarily lake. primarily because of the sand. I just I don't like it. Best thing about all three, really, especially if you're in this country, is the you, you can almost guarantee that you will come into contact with raw sewage, human sewage, oh, and I dear. think that's what makes us so special. That's what <laughs> makes Britain great. You know, we've got our blue passports and we've got our sewage-filled uh, rivers, lakes, and seas, and it just makes me so proud that we have <laughs> taken back control of our shit and we're just pumping it <laughs> into our lovely summer swimming areas. Um, it's yeah. just wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, that's well. That's um, yeah. I, that that seals the deal when it comes to going to the beach for me. Yeah. So you hate sand, um, yeah. and and you uh, you yeah. I'm assuming you'd rather stay clear of raw sewage. <laughs> Generally. Or do, or do you like it? Is it a fetish thing? No, no, no. It has to be on my playing own. Playing Russian roulette with E. coli. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did watch. Um, there was a British triathlon, wasn't there, in Sunderland? Uh, a few weeks ago. Yes, and they all got the shit, didn't got, they, because oh of our disgusting water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the athletes was like, oh, I'm glad I know why I was bent over double on, on the toilet uh, for yeah. like 48 hours after the event. <laughs> yeah, who'd have thought swimming in the sea off Sunderland could give you the shits? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, has it ever occurred to you that it might be actually a genius master plan of our um, our superb Home Secretary, uh, Sue Ella Braverman, to, as an additional deterrent to the migrants who, according to her, just plague our nation and make everything terrible <laughs> uh, in, in their boats, these awful, awful people who keep trying to come over here and you know save themselves from a sort of war famine and the threat of murder for them and all their family. But how dare they? Um, uh, uh, do you, do you, have you ever thought that, Pumping shit might actually be a strategic. Move yeah, that could be part. one of the yeah, yeah, along with the wave machine and the uh, yeah, that uh, was a pretty Patel idea. It just shows <laughs> that successive home secretaries really are visionaries, aren't they? They're geniuses. Please, <laughs> guy, please. Yeah. yeah, Tory home secretaries really are. They're taking they're taking politics to another creative level of blue sky <laughs> thinking, and we are all the better for it. I wouldn't be sure. I think Suella Braveman probably. You know, people said she went missing last week in what was. Even even their even their big biggest uh, fans would have to admit it was probably one of the most disastrous weeks they've ever had. They started by calling it Small Boat Week and then literally messed up every single one of their evil, vindictive, nasty policies and uh, just humiliated themselves. That I, I mean, I, I haven't looked at what the right wing press would say, but I'd imagine even they were struggling to find a way to defend it and paint it as a success story. But Sarah Braveman is probably. But they said she went missing last week and was probably too embarrassed to come out and, and, and speak um, after all these humiliations. But maybe she's just spending all her time hunched over in the corner of her office, shitting into some sort of vessel, which is then you know just constantly pouring food into her system, which she knows is going to make her really unwell, just to produce ungodly amounts of shit that can then be through a special home office tunnel pumped directly into the English Channel and uh, <laughs> you know, just increase the chances that any migrants uh, that do make it uh, safely across will then just be immediately infected with her uh, diarrhoea E. coli. Um, so, uh, you know, and I wouldn't, she is such a visionary and such a genius that I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly what she was doing. Uh, so <laughs> get off her back and give her a chance. She's just such a great woman. Yes. Isn't she? <laughs> Isn't she great? Doesn't she make you proud? <laughs> right, right. football. So, Matthew, 
I mean, I asked you a question just before we went live, um, and Here's I thought I'd leave the explanation. It, well, I thought I'd leave the explanation of it and further discussion of it until we we're recording. Um, I asked you simply, who is um, who did I ask it, who 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 they were? Uh, Castedo, Castedo, Marius. Yeah, Marius, Marius Castedo. Was that yeah? Uh, so I, I said to you. Have you been watching football? Have you been following football? Um, what do you think of Moises Caicedo? And you said, I said, and then you looked blank and I said, uh, do you know who he is? <laughs> and, you said, and you've just repeated back to me with a confused look on your face. What did you say, Moises Cas- Castedo? Well, I said he sounds like he plays for Man City. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, brilliant. You're we'll come back me, to him. You're going to tell me he plays for Tottenham was, I think, now. <laughs> yeah, your team. Uh <laughs> Oh, good. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that, Matthew. That's but good. what I am going to do is I'm, I'm just going to refer back to our listeners and say, if anyone wonders why I asked those questions at the beginning of the thing, that's why. Because <laughs> you know, if, I, if we just stuck to football, you know, this 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 guy would have nothing to say. So, Matthew, have you been watching any? Have you been watching the Women's World Cup? Yeah, I've enjoyed uh, the Women's World Cup. I think um, just some great. Yeah, I do. Just to see in so much support, you know, it is it is on a par of the the Euros in England, uh, the way it's been yeah. embraced in Australia and New Zealand. I think it's fantastic. It helps when the host nation do well, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's that's fantastic. Um, and it's I think it's been really. It feels like it's been really competitive. You know, sort of the USA dominance has has sort of been and gone a little bit, and I think England have found some of the the competition really tough even though they're European winners, champion <clears> winners <throat> and and yeah, it's just, you know, some great sort of in many ways, sort of Nigeria and Colombia could have easily gone further if if Especially if, Nigeria. Yeah. Nigeria really played England off the park. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's it just feels like um just how how the men's game is in, in many ways, in that it's it's really accessible and, and uh you know, you're getting teams from genuinely all around the world who are Yeah, I think like I, I don't like making um, always talking about women through the lens of a comparison no, no. with the men's game, but because generally it's reductive. But I do think that it, the 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 thing that is probably most encouraging in terms of just looking at the health of the sport overall, um, the women's sport um, from this World Cup is that the, the traditional sort of dominant forces in women's football have all now been knocked out. Somebody new is going yeah. to win the World Cup. Um, and it looks like there's a real um, like explosion of quality and enthusiasm in the countries that up until this point hadn't done uh, a huge amount in terms of women's football. Because, you know, England are right, European champions, which they've won that for the first ever time. Um but they are still one of the powerhouses of, of, of they're, they're, you know, they, they're serial sort of semi-finalists. Yeah. A bit like the men's team, really. Um, well, the men's team now, anyway, under Southgate. Um, uh, so, yeah I, yeah, I agree with you. It's been a really brilliant tournament. I think Australia have done a really good job hosting it. I think it, oh, any tournament benefits from the host nation having a good run. And the fact that Aussie have made it all the way to the semi-final. And England against Australia, you know. Semi-final yeah. baseball oh, is, is just fucking brilliant, isn't it? That's going to kick off. Yeah, yeah, it will. Like <clears throat> you know, especially in, in the summer where we've just had the Ashes, and that that was a really hostile, uh, acrimonious Ashes series as well. Yeah, yeah it'd just be really good. I do think that England 
probably should win. I think if they play Spain in the final, which is where my bet would be, Sweden might sort of outsmart them because they are very solid and difficult to beat. But I think Spain are a really good side. So I think because I think if I remember rightly, England played Spain. I think in the quarterfinal of the Euros, and it was a really really tough game. They yeah. they they got again mostly outplayed, but won. And that is where that is England's biggest strength that they they know how to win even when they're 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 not playing particularly well, which is one of the biggest sort of cliche football bore punditry um, uh, uh, statements, isn't it? Oh, they you know you know they're a good side because they win when they're not playing well. But it's definitely true of England. So yeah, it's been a brilliant tournament, and you know there is a decent chance that I think probably a quite a strong chance that uh, this country will harbour the um, world and European champions by uh, by this time next week. But we shall see. Football is a funny game, and uh, there's a lot of hurdles to get over. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's been excellent. I, what's great as well is I walk around my local area on Saturday because oh, I went to see Leighton Orient. I'm just great. walking up Leighton High Road. I took my lodger to his first ever football match at the age of uh, 11, not quite 11 months. And uh, it was interesting to see what he thought of it. Um, <laughs> he was a bit like you, actually, probably in terms of his level of concentration on <laughs> I was the game. going to say. Yeah, he, you know, he was mi- mixed, I'd say. Got a little bit upset when the uh, teams came out and the, the noise. Uh, uh, oh, did he, you, did uh, he have little headphones? Uh, little... We had them with us, yeah, but we thought, um, that we thought that maybe they wouldn't be necessary. But looking back now, he probably should have um, <laughs> should have had them on. Um, but there was a boy two rows in front of us, and I'd, I'd, I'd estimate probably exactly the same age. And uh, he was absolutely fine. He sat there like he had a season ticket for about 15 years. He was just like, <laughs> nonchalant about it, sort of, you know, nibbling on one of those puff, uh, puff things that they give to kids these days and tell them that they're... There's no additives and shit in them, so it's not, it's not like giving them quavers. You know, they're, they're, these are actually good for them. Oh, um, cool. But yeah, but he was fine. But anyway, I was walking up Leighton High Road, and the, the amount of people who were just coming back from the pub and stuff from sort of lunchtime, uh, yeah. wearing their England gear, you just think, yeah, this is really good. It's genuinely taken off. And I hate sort of when you sort of say stuff like that. I don't know. It's almost like you're you're willing it to be true, or you're almost I I don't know whether patronising is the right term for this but like you're almost saying isn't it great how the women's game is but, but it, it genuinely is I'm, I mean it in the most earnest sense possible like it, it, it is really taking off and I think that you know even like when I you know think about it from my own perspective probably up until four or five years ago I was being one of those people who would watch not not be openly sort of you know critical I wasn't one of those those knobheads but I'd watch the English game always be thinking oh but you know if that had been a man that would have been you know, this would have been different, that would have been different, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And now I just genuinely, just exactly like when you're watching the, the Olympics, it makes no difference whether it's a man's race or a women's race, and, and to an extent the tennis as well. And uh, and yeah. I think women's football now, you just, I just watch it for the, it's a football match, it makes no difference whether it's a man or a woman's game. And some of the quality has been absolutely outstanding. Oh. Some of the individual players as well. The like Colombia had a player called Casado. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. That's the who balance it is. of that woman. Unbelievable. She, the range of passing, is. the skills. Oh, man. Yeah, she was incredible. I mean, the goals with the 6 1 win over China, I think it was, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, the yeah. goals that England scored were, some of those were yeah, incredible. Were like, one of them was almost Gazer uh, I think it was one of uh, Lauren James's. So. Is that right? Yeah, Lauren James. I'll tell you, if you want to actually talk about... It has occurred to me that would she... If that had been a kind of, you know, a 300 grand a week top England international man 
who had sort of stamped on the back of an opposition player and got himself a two-match ban at a crucial time for their country in the World Cup due to ill-discipline, some might say violence, would they be getting a much tougher ride in the media than Lauren Jones, who's mostly yeah, had yeah, yeah. quite a sympathetic... Um, and, and rightly yeah, so, yeah. really, because everyone makes mistakes, these things happen. It's a flashpoint in a moment of high stress and she just reacted badly. But... Um, I don't know. You know, when you when you, I know that things it's have a, changed since 1998. No, but you compare it to like David Beckham when he yeah, no. But Gardens the thing team. is, the thing is, well, first, yeah, I think it's, it's it comes down to the character, the person that commits that act. And so, I think the idea was that David Beckham was a slightly, I don't know, maybe a slightly petulant type of individual. As and a that person, in his career, he was actually wasn't yeah. He? He so if it was a, a yeah, whereas I think if it was a, a an England men's player who generally you know was was quite level headed, but as you said, just had a, a flash moment of of uh, lashing out, then maybe it would be the same. So yeah, it's it's hard to say. I don't know. I I suspect that it's probably just because there isn't the there isn't the you know the historic animosity between um, press and and players slash national team slash yeah. just football in general as that is as there is in the uh, men's game. So therefore, you know, it's ten, from a journalistic perspective, it just tends to be looked at a lot more fairly yeah. and in a more balanced and nuanced way, which is a good thing, a really good thing. And to be fair, I do think in a lot of ways the men's game is covered like that now as well. But old school British tabloid journalism was just about, you know, blame and uh, and sensationalism. And um, as they say on a, on a famous podcast that you and I both listened to when they uh, developed the character of uh, John Pigface from the Sun. Going, oh, 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 yeah, okay, yeah. What, do you, what do you have for your breakfast? Um, you know, uh, that, that's kind of what journalists were kind of always like. Whereas I think, yeah, Lauren James is probably England's most talented player as well. Yeah. So they, you know, they are, I think on Sunday, or sorry, on Wednesday for the semi-final in particular, that in that sort of game, which is bound to be tight, um, that's where they would really miss somebody like that. But hey, yeah. But moving on, Matthew, you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Um, and I know how much the, the Spurs mean to you. I know, you know, they're, they're blue and, uh, and sorry, dark blue and white blood uh, really pulses through your veins. I still so how do you feel about Harry Kane going? Yeah, I mean, I don't ask me to try and pronounce the, the manager's name. I heard Gary Lineker say it on a podcast this morning. and I, Who, I Which manager? Tottenham's manager. Ange Postacoglu. Yeah, come on. <laughs> that is a hard, yeah. I, I mean, I've seen his name written down, but it's hard to pronounce. But yeah, um, he's an Aussie. Yeah, I know he's an Aussie. I know he's an Aussie. Well, he's uh, Greek Aussie. Yeah. Uh, good guy. Good I think, guy. I think. I think generally, I, I can't. You know, Gary Lineker was saying on this podcast. You know, he's, he he struggled to to find any sort of staunch uh, Tottenham supporter or any Tottenham supporter who would. Um, yeah, begrudge Kane leaving. And I think it's good for the club, you know, a year to go. They'll be out contract. there, mate. They'll be out there. Really? You're talking, oh, you're talking as someone who is, you're very reasonable and level-headed, but you're also emotionally distant. Isn't it? Yeah, you know, well. You're not really that arse. So they, what, do they think? I do think, the, you're right. I do think the majority of reasonable Tottenham fans know the state the club is currently in versus what, Harry Kane uh, at his stage of his career wants and needs to achieve yeah. and realise that the two are incompatible and that 
you know, it was the right time to sell in terms of getting money for him versus losing him free next summer. It was an opportunity for him to be sold um, where he leaves the country and goes abroad rather than paying, playing for a domestic rival. Plus, Ange Postacoglu then gets an opportunity to start with, uh, you know, a blank sheet and have and conduct a sort of rebuilding uh, process. Um, and as, as, as a friend of mine who supports Tottenham sort of said to me, you know, even though Kane is probably, in his opinion, uh, Spurs' greatest ever player, um, he wouldn't even necessarily fit it in with... Because Postacoglu is famous for playing really, really high-intensity, um, uh, sort of quite um, sort of cutting-edge, risky football, and whether Kane would have been the right type of player that would have suited that. Um but then I don't know. I suspect that that some that to some extent underestimates just how um, mobile and um, uh, sort of technically gifted and versatile he is as a as a player. Because I, I mean, he he's not just a goal scorer. He's a, just a brilliant footballer. He really is. Yeah. And, uh, when you see him live, as you know, I've been to a lot of Liverpool Tottenham games over the years that he's been playing for us uh, at both stadiums, and it, it always strikes me when you watch him play in the flesh. You appreciate things about his game that you don't necessarily on the telly. Like he really is like a brilliant, brilliant footballer, and I've got so much respect for the fact that I, I, I think that he, you know, when you hear people talking about him sort of coming through the ranks and that he wasn't always like the most gifted player and the one that they were earmarking as a future star. So he's clearly just worked so hard on every element of his game. He's got like devotion to improving. And he's, you know, he's clearly just a good guy yeah, as yeah. well, isn't he? You know, it's difficult. Surely, even even Arsenal fans, uh, sort of uh, piss taking aside, yeah. must struggle to to find him an objectionable character. An objectionable yeah. character. So yeah, so you're you're sanguine about it, are you, Matt? Well, yeah, yeah, no, I am. But they, for all those reasons that you eloquently sort of explained um, as to why it probably is, on the whole, the best. For everyone. All right, I'm playing devil's advocate now. I'm just going to be, I'm going to take the role of a uh, narrow-minded English football supporter who has a uh, a disregard for any football that isn't uh, Premier League on Sky Sports, right? Okay, so what's he going like? They say you want to win trophies, but what's the point in him going to Germany? Yeah, it's easy, isn't it? They win the league every year, so no one's going to give him any credit for that. So what, he'd be better off... Staying at Tottenham, winning one trophy at Tottenham will be a bigger achievement than going and winning the Bundesliga with Bayern Munich. What do you say to that? Um, yeah, I mean, there probably is, there possibly is an argument to that in some ways. I mean, winning the Premier League is arguably harder than winning the Bundesliga. Um, well, as you are, not if you're like Freiburg. No. If you're, yeah, if you're no. anyone other than Bayern Munich. <laughs> but, but, would you rather win, you know, it It was getting to the point where it's like, well, let's just try and win the League Cup, you know, for, for Harry yeah. Kane. And, and when, yeah, and you just think, yeah. well, the League Cup is not obviously anywhere com- compared to winning the actual Bundesliga title. So, yeah. We used to get a very similar thing when, um, when Steven Gerrard was, you know, um, so clearly our best player for so many years. And a lot of those years, Liverpool were, um, you know, struggling. But I think the difference is that they still, you know, he finished his time at Liverpool having won every single major trophy other than the Premier League. He won both of the um, the big European competitions and he won both of the domestic cups multiple times. Um, and he was kind of, uh, at, 
at spells during his Liverpool career, he was in in the mix to, to win the league. Whereas other than I think one, the Leicester season, Tottenham have not really been anywhere close to winning the league. I think the, the condition they're in at the moment, I don't think they're likely to, to be in the mix anytime soon. No. He's 30 years old. So, yeah. But the, I think the reason that I, I brought up that kind of devil's advocate, um, what I would call the sort of soccer Saturday, Paul Merson <laughs> type opinion, even though he probably hasn't said that, I'm doing him a disservice, but it's the sort of thing that I, I hear a lot, and certainly on on, um, on social media. I think that misunderstands the motivations of footballers and it also underestimates just what an absolutely enormous club Bayern Munich are. And I think that, you know, we get so bogged down in this country and so fixated with our own football and how big it is and how important it is. And I've got great respect for Tottenham. So I don't mean this in any sort of, I'm not trying to make any sort of petty point scoring, disparaging uh, remarks about Tottenham because they are, they, they're a really brilliant, uh, proper, um, uh, massive London football institution but they're not exactly a winning machine. You know, they haven't won the, their own domestic league for, what, 52, 53 years. They haven't won a, a trophy of any description for about 15 years. And, yeah, they've had a good few years, um, sort of, you know, in, if you put it in a hard historical perspective, these last, say, 10 years or so have been some of the better um, um, uh, sort of generations for, for Tottenham as a club in terms of um, competing at somewhere around that top level. But they, you know, as people love to point at them, they haven't won anything. Bayern Munich, right, are six times European champions. And they win, at the moment, they're in a run where they're winning the domestic league pretty much every every year. They won the Champions League only a couple of years ago uh, for the last time. And they're always in the mix to win it again. And I think anyone who underestimates just how massive Bayern Munich are should actually just go to Germany and just see what it's like in, in, in Munich around match day. I mean, they are just massive. They're absolutely massive. And Harry Kane, I think, will, if he didn't understand it beforehand, will get a real awakening to that. You know, it's similar probably to playing for Real Madrid or Barcelona or, and again, another one that's underestimated by people who aren't in you know, Rangers and Celtic as well. Very similar thing. And everything you do is under such a lens. You're in such a goldfish bowl. Even sort of training sessions are um, are sort of analysed. And, and you, you know, it's just massive. And there was a a swarm of journalists who have to make a living out of finding stories to write about everything to do with the club. Also, you know, it's a it's an institution of sporting excellence. So every single thing at that club from top to bottom will be, uh, um, you know, sort of scientifically analysed and, and, you know, what, they're looking for just constant improvement and marginal gains and all those things. So, Potentially, it could take his game to another level in terms of mm. he's going to be mixing with the real elite now. Uh, I have no worries at all from his perspective that he'll be a success because I think you know the domestic stuff um, he should be able to deal with because the, the despite everything I've just said, the Premier League is a more competitive league overall, you know. And um, um, but the, the 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 proof of the pudding is really going to be the, the Champions League, you know. And I hope for him. I think it'd be I'm. I've always been a big fan. I'm sure I've said it many times on this podcast before. I think it, but it looks good for the, you know, the our domestic football, our, our players, if um, some of them actually go and play abroad. And now you could make a quite strong argument that England's best two players are Jude Bellingham and Harry Kane, and neither of whom are playing in the Premier League. Um, and they're playing for two of the biggest clubs in the world, like giant, giant football clubs. Um, 
So I think that's a really good thing, and I think it's refreshing to see, and I think it will be, if it means that more people switch on to football that isn't just, you know, hype, hype, hype Premier League, brilliant as that is, then fantastic. So I say fair play to him. And the other point, which um, Jamie Redknapp actually made the other day, and he thought, yeah, yeah, you know what, that's actually true. He said, people say that Kane shouldn't have joined Bayern Munich because they just win the league every year and it's no achievement. Well, there's still a massive queue of people wanting to play for Man City, aren't there? And, and you know, <laughs> they've just won the treble. So you can't really, imp- well, I suppose you, the only way you could improve this season and last season is to win the League Cup as well and win the quadruple. So, you know, it's going to be pretty tough to do that. And yet there'll still be an enormous queue of elite professional footballers absolutely desperate to join them. Yeah. If they win the league this season, they'll be the first team ever to win four in a row in this country. No one's ever done that before. A number of, number of teams on, on various occasions have won three in a row. But, you know, there's a very good chance they're going to win the league and it would be four. So that's kind of unprecedented. That's not going to... I don't think any elite player next summer's going to go, oh, they've just won four league titles in a row. Oh, no, I'm going to go to their biggest rivals just to balance things out a bit. It's just not the way things work. You know, players always want to play for the, the, the very elite. So, yeah... Um, Good luck to him. And I, I still think Tottenham will have a, a decent season. Um, better talk about um, Caicedo or whatever you bloody called him. Um, because the reason I asked about uh, that is because to, to inform you, Matthew, there is a very, very talented defensive midfielder who plays for Brighton and Hove Albion called Moises Caicedo, who All is right. at least 20 or 21 years old. He's very young anyway. I and mean, he is emblematic of Brighton's uh, incredible and effective successful strategy of recruiting um, players with great potential from the kind of less fashionable and and um, kind of lower ranking uh, South American markets. When I say lower ranking, what I mean is they don't go to Boca Juniors and say, we're going to buy your best player. They'll look at like the, the development players of the clubs that are often kind of on the fringes in um, you know Ecuador and Argentina and Colombia and Bolivia and those sort of places. And they just keep producing these absolute gems. And Caicedo has come through the ranks in the last couple of seasons. He's developed an incredible reputation. Brighton obviously came sixth last season. They had the most successful season in their um, in their club's history. Got to the FA Cup semi-final. We're very unlucky to lose on penalties. He was a fundamental part of that. Him and Alexis McAllister, Argentina World Cup winner, centre midfielder. Liverpool obviously brought Alexis McAllister at the beginning of the um, window. There was a, an, a kind of um, an assumed... Well, I don't think it was even assumed, actually. I think Tony Bloom, the Brighton owner, went into the uh, end of last season, so went into the summer and uh, acknowledged that Brighton's model always requires them to sell. They sell at enormous, enormous profits because they tend to get these players for sort of a couple of, couple of million. So Alexis McAllister for upwards of 50 million. They're now likely to sell Moises Caicedo for over 100 million. I think at the moment, it looks like it's going through this morning on 115 million. Oh, wow. The reason it's got to that, the reason this is worthy, noteworthy, well, I suppose, right, first and foremost, just on the blanket facts, he's going to Chelsea. We did a special podcast back in January just about Chelsea's insane spending, how they were doing this. Amortisation, is it, where they, they dispense the, um, uh, the transfer revenue by giving them these long... Uh, contracts um, sort of, of seven or eight years and they are I've heard now I need to dig into this and maybe talk about it in a future episode but I heard that that has now been outlawed as a as a strategy and they can't do that anymore but yet 
the breaking news this morning does appear that he's getting an eight-year contract. So I don't know whether they're just doing that because they like to tie these guys up to a ludicrous um, chunk of their career or whether they're still pursuing that policy of avoiding financial fair play uh, scrutiny by divvying up massive transfer fees over the length of, a, of an absurdly large contract. Anyway, the reason it's so, well, noteworthy isn't just because Chelsea, for the second time in eight months, have broken the British transfer record and have spent um, over £100 million on a, on a player, um, despite not being in Europe and having any net revenue. So, yeah, <laughs> it's weird. And I don't know how they're going to get away with it. Maybe they won't. I think they're already being investigated. But it's that on Friday... Liverpool Football Club, of all clubs, Liverpool Football Club, um, just out of nowhere, having, as far as I was aware, not shown any, not not necessarily interest, because I think everyone sensible would have been interested in buying a player, but not showing any intent to, to, to get involved in the fight for Casado, uh, offered about £110 million or something to break the British transfer record to buy him, just out of nowhere. And that was following. So for a number of weeks, Liverpool have been trying to sign a player called Romeo Lavia, who plays, I believe, a Belgian player playing for uh, Southampton, who is 19 years old and a defensive midfielder. So the theme is clearly Liverpool need a defensive midfielder. And have been playing City. He's an ex-Man City player, I think, went to Southampton last summer. So that I think Man City do have a buyback option, which they're not at this stage uh, intending to activate. So Liverpool have seen, right, Southampton have been relegated, chance to get this really talented young um, player with bags of potential in. We need a defensive midfielder. And they've been squabbling. Southampton want 50 million quid. Liverpool have been squabbling, offering 40 million, 42 million, 44, whatever, <laughs> over a number of weeks. Real, like, just fanning around, where, during which time time is drifting away. Pre-season game after pre-season game are going. Opportunity to train with the squad is going. So you're kind of thinking Liverpool fans, as many of them do, um, particularly in this social media age, are just you know getting on their high horse and squabbling about, oh, this is ridiculous. The owners are letting us down again, blah, 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 blah. So they, they're doing that, and it looks like they're kind of getting nowhere. And you're thinking, surely just one of these days, they're just going to offer an extra two, three million pounds, get that deal over the line. They either want him or they don't. That goes quiet for a few days. And then next thing you know, they're offering to break the British transfer record for a completely separate player. But... The crux of it is what they've done. So Moises Casado actually agreed personal terms with Chelsea towards the end of last season or beginning of the of the summer, so that he was in a position where as soon as Chelsea then make the bid to um, that is uh, meets Brighton's approval, he can, everything's agreed and he can just go. And he's obviously therefore cleared it with his family. He's probably probably even looked for a property in London. Got his heart set on where he wants to live, etc. So Liverpool then come in, break the British transfer record or, or agree to. Chelsea are left with their pants down a little bit. And up until then, I think, had been playing silly buggers around the £80 million uh, mark. And Brighton was saying, no, 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 no. So we sort of blown them out of the water, theoretically. But Caicedo himself, um, everyone was getting really excited on Friday. saying, oh, Liverpool have done this incredible bit of business. But look at that. They don't normally spend that big, etc." The player himself was just like, uh, someone needs to tell me about this. I've agreed to go to Chelsea and I'm going to Chelsea. <laughs> so, so then a couple of days of sort of silence have passed. And then now this morning, it's clear once the game, and then ironically, of course, Liverpool then played Chelsea yesterday. And both managers were very diplomatically avoiding the subject. But you could tell, I saw Pochettino interviewed, the great Tottenham legend Pochettino interviewed after the match. And um, it was clear from the sort of knowing smile on his face that he knew that 
Casado was going to be going to Chelsea. Uh, so right. it looks like it's pretty much time for them this morning for another British record of 115 million. Liverpool have therefore been, they've made so many strategic errors here. A lot of people will blame Casado and said he's shown a complete disrespect to a club that, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the, in the world have, have gone in and, and, and um, you know, flattered him by offer to break the British transfer record for him and he's just disregarded a move. And yeah, I suppose, you know, there is an element of that. But at the same time, if he's made up his mind, he's made up his mind. He's an individual and he can do what he wants. And he's obviously already agreed to do something. So you could even argue maybe he's a man of his word. And that's a rare thing in football these days. I just so I, so I flip it and I look at it from Liverpool's perspective and I say they clearly therefore didn't do any due diligence on this. They just went in and thought, oh, fuck it. Let's just get this other guy <laughs> who we who we know can you know do it season after season in the Premier League. All right, we'll have to spend double the amount of money. So now everyone can see that Liverpool were prepared to spend that on a player. They've been sort of borderline humiliated by by the disregard that Caicedo had for the move in, uh, at all. So what are they going to do now? They're going to go back to Lavier at Southampton and say, oh, yeah, we'll give you an extra one million. They go, oh, hold on a minute, Brick. You were just going to spend double that to Chelsea. So you have to say, we, we spoke a bit about the government having a bad week with their small boats week last week. As it says, <laughs> for Liverpool, that is... You know that's a bad, bad few days. Oh man! And, and the long and short of it is, they still don't don't have a defensive midfielder, and uh, one of their biggest rivals for a top four sp- uh, place this season have probably the most sought after defensive mil- midfielder in uh, potentially even in world football at the moment. So, not a great few days for the club, I support. But uh, there you go. Well, get if, if there's any solace, Gary Lineker did say on the podcast I listened to. He said Liverpool were in in you know in the hunt for the for the for the title. Town. So we'll see. We but go yeah. one of two ways. A lot some people will optimistically say that um Liverpool were up until the end of the the, the, the previous seasons, not the one just gone previous season, they were obviously they played every single match available to them that season. So they got to the cup final of everything and came within one point of winning the league um again. But failed and one ended up winning both domestic cuts, but losing the Champions League final. Um, and then the kind of mental and physical exhaustion from that led to them having a really disappointing season last season and maybe a few players burning out. And they were so, so far away from the level that they'd been at for most of the, the sort of five or six years up till then. Some people are optimistically saying they'll find their setting, they've refreshed the squad, they've got a couple of new players in and they'll they'll sort of just automatically go back to that level of you know, consistent performance and intensity. Other people will say, well, you're not going to be able to necessarily replicate that. That was a unique set of of circumstances with a specific set of players. You can't guarantee that. And based on last season, it's going to be really tough. Plus competition from, you know, brilliant looking uh, clubs now with excellent size like um, Arsenal in particular are going to make that really difficult. And obviously Man City are ridiculous. Um, So we'll see. I don't really know what I think but I know that having a decent defensive especially based on the game yesterday Liverpool started the game really well looked really on top went 1-0 up definitely should have gone two or three goals up but they've failed to capitalise and spent most of the rest of the game on the back foot and Chelsea were kind of cutting through Liverpool with ease at times and that that wouldn't happen as often 
if Liverpool had that kind of screen in front of the back four. I'm, I'm talking about tactics. I hate doing stuff like this because uh, it makes you sound like the sort of wanker who put, writes a letter to the Athletic. And, uh, no, actually, I think you'll find that the uh, free box four uh, formation was first used. In, you know, no, fuck off. Um, but uh, but yeah. So so yeah, I'm not I'm not um, sure about that. But uh, but yeah, but it was an excellent first weekend to the Premier League season. And uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, season to follow. I think the Women's World Cup is at that uh, crunch stage. So it's great times for football, Matt. And it's, you know, for a fanatic like you, you must just be buzzing every single day. You must be getting out of bed buzzing. Well, getting out of bed, doing a podcast about football and then... Exactly. That's how much you're fucking buzzing. (laughs) So on that bombshell, uh, it's time. So thank you for listening. Welcome back. Um, Welcome back to you, Matthew. Um, and uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Football Unfocused.